read in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning of verse 32. It's the summary, the summary passage and conclusion. And what time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopping the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies back to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better resurrection. Others suffered, mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So as we've been walking through Hebrews chapter 11, one of the reasons we did this, uh, and I, I told this story a number of times at the beginning, uh, but as we close, just to recount again, uh, I was talking to my, my dad at one point, and I said, you know, it's interesting, I, I, I've, I've, actually it was Renska, it wasn't my dad, but he had the idea. I was talking to Renska and I were talking, it's the same. I was talking to Renska, see I've told the story so many times I can't remember anymore. Renska and I were talking, and I said to Renska, ah, I'm a little worried about Anouk, because Tice has had, at his young age, he's had very clear expressions of faith in Jesus. Really clear. He's asked questions. We've talked through it. But Anouk, she, she doesn't do the same. She's not doing that. And Renska said, yeah, but have you heard her singing? She wanders around the house singing songs that are composed of her own words and songs we've sung at church and children's Christian songs we listen to on Spotify. And she's, she's expressing it in her way, in song. And, and I, we were telling my parents that, and my dad said, ah, that, different, different characteristics, different personalities in faith. We all have different personalities. We express our faith in slightly different ways. We relate to Jesus in the same way, but also in slightly different ways because he's made each of us different. And so my dad said, ah, that's Hebrews chapter 11, different expressions of faith, if you will. And that was where this sermon series came from because I thought, oh, I'd like to spend some time looking at that. <laughs> so it was a little personal in that sense, a little, uh, a little personal. Um, and so we, we've been looking at these different expressions of faith. And the author has looked at that, began with, if you remember, with Abel, through Enoch, through to Noah, Abraham and Sarah, And then into Moses, sorry, J J Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, Moses, the people of Israel, Joshua, and the people as they enter into the land through Jericho, Rahab, which we looked at last week. And then he comes to this and he says, And what more shall I say? Time would fail me. In other words, 
There are many, many examples. And he gives us a, a brief summary. Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, all of whom you'll find in the book of Judges, the times of the Judges. And then David, Israel's great king. And then Samuel, who's representative of the prophets in general, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and many others who we read about in the Old Testament. And so he, he has a summary phrase, and then he says, who through faith, the, the, the phrase he's been using up until now is by faith, and now he, he, he changes it slightly in verse 33, and says, who through faith did all of these things. And if you notice, I personally prefer the first half of those that list of things that they did through faith. The first half is kind of nice. They conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, they stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped death, made straws. Ah, these are good things. I like those things. But then you get to verse 36, and it says others... <laughs> sorry, verse 35. Some were tortured and refused to accept release. They died in captivity. Others suffered mocking, chains and imprisonment. They were sawed in two. Probably talking about Isaiah. Although we don't know that for certain. We'll get to that in a second. But I like the first, the first half of those descriptions. Is a lot. Do you agree with me on that? The first half is nicer than the second half. But what I want to look at this morning is this idea that uh, the the. There are two big categories in the Christian life. There's faith's victory, if you will. We ought to ex expect to experience victory in the Christian life. And then we get to that second half and realize that actually there's, there's, there's suffering that's involved as well. There's persecution. There's need for endurance and perseverance. I, I talk to people on the street a lot uh, on Monday mornings and Sometimes we get into different conversations about, I get to show why I'm a Christian. And one of the reasons I'm a Christian is we see outlined in this passage. It's because I don't know any other religion that, that, that holds the ideal of there is good in this world. It's possible to win, to see victory. But then also the reality of the brutality of life. Every other religion I've, I've explored, it, 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 it fails on one of those counts. Either it lowers the bar of what's truly good, or it, it ignores the evils of this world. It does one or the other. Jesus is the only one who can say the good is all the way up at the top. The ideal of what life ought to look like, but also re recognize the brutality of life. And we find those two things held together in Jesus, who suffered and died on the cross for our sin, for our junk. So I'm just going to look briefly this morning at those two ideas the idea of victory in the Christian life. And this idea of suffering, or I've called them faith's victory and faith's endurance. Uh, and, and the reality, friends, is that faith is a fight. Have you experienced that? I've experienced that this morning. I looked at Anita as we 
tried to run through some songs, and I said, yeah, it's been one of those mornings. <laughs> Faith is a fight, and we see that carried out through the whole of the New Testament. Faith is a fight. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 12, you see these in your notes. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about, it uses the language of the battle. We have spiritual armor. We have an enemy. And we need to engage in the fight. Faith is a fight. In 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Paul uses the language of fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. And the good fight is the one of godliness, of becoming like Jesus. Fight the good fight. And there's a couple of references there at the end. Philemon chapter 1 and verse 2 and Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25. Paul refers to his fellow ministers as fellow soldiers. We've lost some of that language of the battle of, 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 of faith in, in the last decade or so. It's not PC or whatever it is. But actually, we need some of that language because our lived reality that's shown to us in the Bible, that's experienced by us in everyday life, is that faith is a battle. It's a fight. And so can I suggest to you this morning that there are two... There are two fronts for this battle, for this war. There's the fight within, and there's the fight without. The fight within, and the fight without. I just want to spend a little bit, because we look at Hebrews chapter 11, and we think, we're not actually going out and conquering kingdoms. That's not what Christians are doing. We're not enforcing justice as such in terms of political power. We're not, uh, has anyone stopped the mouths of lions recently? So, well, okay, that's the fight, but actually, in verse 38 and 40, it says we've got a better way to fight the battle, to run the race. And so what's that better way? So that's what we're looking at, the fight within, the fight without. The fight within is this idea of, of trying to, Colossians chapter 3 puts it this way, it says in verse 5, it says, put to death what is earthly in you, kill it. The things that are earthly, that are not eternal, that are not from Jesus, we need to kill those things. Sometimes that, 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 that category of things that needs to be put to death in our lives, we refer to it as sin. Put it to death. Kill it. It's, it's a painful process. You realize that your, your phone is causing you to, to not be like Jesus. Maybe you're looking at things on there that you shouldn't be looking at. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's, it's social media and, 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 and you're just you're feeling envious and jealous of everyone. And you realize, whatever it is, that that thing in your hand is causing you to stop following Jesus, becoming more like Jesus. And so you have the conviction, oh, I need to put that, I need to kill it. But your phone's a useful thing. And sometimes you don't, you don't have to get rid of it entirely. It's enough to have some accountability to how you, you can put a software on your phone that makes you accountable so that someone else that you choose can keep say, hey, what have you been looking at on your phone? I got an email that said you were on a website you shouldn't have been on. Sometimes that's enough, but sometimes actually you think, I need to get rid of my phone, or I need to delete all my social media, I need to, it's painful, it's hard, because you enjoy some of that stuff. It's not all bad. But the fight within is first about killing what's earthly in you, putting sin to death. And secondly, it's about putting on the new self. 
And Colossians chapter 3, if you just turn with me in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. It lists those things. It says put to death in verse 5. But then in verse 12 it says put on them. It's like a new garment. You ever bought some new clothes recently? I bought a new sweatshirt for about, it was an England sweatshirt for the, you know, for the upcoming World Cup, but it was the perfect size, 10 pounds at Tesco. It was, it was like the, the end of the line, got it off half price or whatever it was. I was really pleased about it. I wore it for five days sh- straight, and Renska said, you've got mud on there from the kids from our walk. You need to wash it now. The, the picture is like putting on a new garment. Yeah? Putting on a new garment. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, these things, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. And above all these things, put on, there it is again, put on like a new dress, shirt, suit. Put on love, which binds everything together. It holds everything together. It undergirds it. That's the fight within putting to death what is earthly, putting sin to death, and putting on the new self, the new man. Sometimes we say, you start to become like Jesus. Yeah? And so four, four, four questions, four categories of question. Perhaps this morning, you, you, you're sitting there going, sin? In me? I, I'm not sure that I'm doing anything wrong. Maybe the Lord hasn't convicted you of something in your life that he wants to change. Ask the Lord to reveal you, to convict you of sin in your life. Ask him to do it. David does that in Psalm 139. And I'll flip over there, you don't need to flip there. Psalm 139, verse 23. The psalmist writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. If you're in a place this morning, you're going, I think I'm doing pretty well. Maybe what you need, maybe you don't need that, but maybe what you need is to say, Lord, is there something you want to change? I'm, I'm, whatever, I'm, I'm all here. I'm an open book for you, Lord. Where's my other pieces of paper there? I almost forgot about these. You can pass these around. Sometimes something like this is helpful. Best, let me... Um, actually, let me... Can I get one of those? Yeah. Something like this is John Wesley had a list of 22 odd questions which he would ask himself on a, a, a regular basis. Questions for self-reflection. This is one of those helpful set of questions. There's a couple of these that are kind of, kind of convicting. The danger of this kind of thing is that we turn this into another law book. This is the standard that I have to live up to. This isn't a, these aren't rules to live by. They're simply questions. That maybe the Holy Spirit has one question on there that sticks out to you. Malcolm did this with us, slightly different stuff at, on the retreat. But they're, they're questions of, how am I doing? Lord, is there something that you want to change? The one that I read that convicted me, 
was how do I spend my spare time? And the other one was, um, where was it? Why am I not seeing it? The one about is there anything that my conscience, do I insist upon doing something about which my conscience is uneasy? Oof. Yeah, but spend, take some time to spend with those questions. Again, it's not, they're not rules to live by. They're simply a way of, of, of asking the Lord Jesus, is there something in my life which you want to change? Awareness of sin. Perhaps you're in the middle. Perhaps you're very aware of your sin. This is the next, the next stage, the next category of, of questions, if you will. The battle against sin. Perhaps you're in the middle of, of, of the battle. You're very aware of your sin. You've got, it's like that you know exactly what that thing is that you're wrestling with. Sometimes we talk about habitual sins. Each of us in our different personality has something specific that we wrestle with over and over again over time. And the devil knows where it is because he's, he's a good judge of those things. And my encouragement to you this morning is that ongoing victory over sin is possible because Jesus killed sin. It's dead. And if you trust Him, you have His power in your life. And so my encouragement this morning is in the fight against sin, keep repenting. Keep going back to the Lord Jesus and saying, Jesus, I failed again. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. 1 John 1, verse 7. He says, if you confess your sin, I sometimes forgive you. Is that what he says? He's faithful and just, and he will forgive you your sin. Keep, keep repenting. Keep going back and repenting. Keep asking him to change your desire for that thing. If you've got envy in your heart, my... my Renske and I and, and my parents spent a few days down on the south coast. Uh, my great aunt has a house down there. And so Rent, my sister and Isak are staying there. And uh, they, bought, they just bought the penthouse at the top of the building. And they took us up to see it. And the view, I mean, if there was ever a million dollar view, I mean, it was, it was beautiful. But what happened when I walked up there? Oh, I wish I had this. Right? And, and I went, no, Lord, I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to have that envy in my heart. Keep, keep confessing, keep repenting, keep asking him to change your heart, ask him to change your desire for sin. Friends, over time, that process of repenting and praying and confessing and repenting and confessing and praying, asking him to change your heart, he does. He does. I've seen it in my life. Others have seen it in their lives. He does change you. Keep confessing. James says, confess your sins to one another. I'm not sure that means that we should all stand up in front of each other on a Sunday morning and say, right, here's my list of sins from this last week. Okay, Paul, your turn. I'm not sure that's what that means. I, I suspect what it means is that you have one or maybe two people in your life who, you, who, who have spiritual authority in your life, if I can put it that way, who you trust spiritually, and, and, and they're going to help keep you accountable. My father was one of those for me, especially as a young man, still a young man, teenage man, and in my early 20s. Yeah? 
that, that process of repenting, having someone else who's helping you stay accountable, asking the Lord, staying in the Word, those things, it's not rocket science, but it does take time. And my encouragement is, victory over sin is possible. If you're feeling discouraged this morning, if you're feeling like, Lord, I keep messing up in this area, when is it going to change? He does. He will. He's conquered sin, and He can do it in your life. Sometimes we get caught up and we think, ah, it's just, are we all so focused on the killing sin part that we forget that actually there's, there's more <laughs> than just stop being bad. That's one of the reasons why we, we're, we're big on grace. The Bible is big on grace. Nastia and I were talking about this this morning. But when the, the law can only tell you how bad you are. It can only help, see, help you see where you're sinful. Yeah, and, and sometimes we get stuck on sin because it's actually there's a lot of law involved in killing sin because you go, oh, that's wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong. And we get so focused on it and we forget that, oh, that's just, that's not even coming over into plus, plus positive territory. We've just tried it. We're so focused on, I'm not going to be bad. I just need to get back to neutral. Actually, there's a whole world of blessing open. Remember, it's putting sin to death and putting on the new self. Becoming like Jesus, putting on the new self, walking by the Spirit, training for godliness in the words of 1 Timothy, bearing fruit, abiding in Jesus and bearing fruit in the language of John 15. And so perhaps you're in that, sta- that season of, uh, that, that stage season where you're going, actually, oh, I, yeah, okay, I've been fighting sin, but actually the Lord wants to do something positive in and through me. He wants me to bear fruit. He wants me to become like Jesus in a positive way. We'll talk about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to say 5, but 6. Is it 5? No, I'm doubting. Anyway, the end of Galatians. It, it's, it's, it's one fruit Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Slightly out of order. Yeah, it's one fruit. So if you're, if you're just growing in love but not growing in anything else, something's wrong. It's one whole fruit. The Holy Spirit develops all of those things in you. Where are you growing in love, peace, patience? The fruit of the Spirit. Where, where, what, where have you seen growth in that area of your life? That's part of the fight within. And then lastly, if you've been doing these things for a while, and you go, yeah, yeah, it's killing sin, putting on righteousness, yeah, got it, been doing it, you've been following Jesus for a long time. The question in Revelation chapter 2 is two churches, but I suspect it's true for us as well. In Revelation chapter 2 to the church at Ephesus, the Spirit of God says, You've been doing all of these things well, but one thing I have against you, you forgot your first love. So if you've been following Jesus for a while, you've been fighting that fight with him, my question to you this morning is, has your love for Jesus grown stale? Has it grown cold? You're still following him, but there's no joy in it. There's no ah, the thrill of the chase, as it were. The big epic. We're going to get to one of those verses in Hebrews 11 in just a second. But those, that sense of, oh, I want to, 
I'm excited to follow Jesus and I can snap. Ah, he's doing good things. Has your love grown cold? And lastly, one of the most important things, if, if you've been following Jesus for a while, you're busy putting sin to death, you're busy putting on the new self, one of the most important things that believers need to do to keep on growing is to reproduce. It's one of the, the one of the, the biggest ways in which our growth as believers falters, in which it it, it stagnates. Is we, we we start following Jesus and we start becoming like Him, but then when it comes to being like Him in terms of helping make other disciples, we we stop, and we're actually not reproducing ourselves spiritually. Who are you coming alongside? Is there someone that you could come alongside? And if there's not someone, you look around, perhaps our local church, perhaps your wider network of people that you know, someone who's a new Christian, someone who's a younger, age-wise Christian, and you think, actually, the Lord wants me to come along. You don't have to be the, the be-all and end-all for that person, but you're, you do what you're able to do at the time that you have. Come alongside them. Walk alongside them in their growth as a believer. As they're fighting those different fights of faith. Killing sin. Putting on the new self. That's the fight within. And then there's the fight without. As we move forward. The New Testament says that there are two things against us in this world. There's two things. The language that it uses, that John in particular uses in the Gospel of John in First and Second and Third John is and Revelation is this idea of the world and its systems. Sometimes Paul uses this phrase "the world," and he means all the people in the world, all the individuals together. Jesus so loved the world, but John uses it in a slightly different sense. When he says "the world," what he means is all of human affairs and governments and the economy and society and culture. The world. And the world, actually, he says, is fundamentally against Jesus. It doesn't want Jesus because it wants to rule itself. So in 1 John in chapter 3 and chapter 4, he says that the world hates believers. But he also says that believers shouldn't fear the world because the one who's in us is greater than the one who is in the world. He says that Believers should not should uh, should uh, are in the world, but we don't belong to the world. We're not of it. We have our citizenship elsewhere. So we're not part of the world and its systems. That's not our our primary, even our final loyalty. Our loyalty is to Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're in the world, but we're not of it. We don't belong to it. He actually says that even though the world is against us as believers, that we are not against the world. That's interesting. It's kind of, it's not very fun to be for someone who is against you. Have you tried to be for somebody who is against you? Parents, you can stick your hands up. <laughs> In John chapter 17, Jesus says, Just as the Father sent me into the world, I am sending you into the world. So Jesus came into the world with a warning, with a message of redemption. Repent and believe. And he sends us into the same world with the same message. Repent and believe in Jesus. 
he says that the world is actually passing away. And that it's under the control of the evil one. The world is passing away and it's under the control of the evil one. And this is where we get to the second thing that is against us. In terms of the world, it's against us, but we are for the world. We want the individuals, the people of the world to know Jesus. We're for them. But the world's in the control of the evil one. And if you turn through to Ephesians chapter 6, we learn more about where the battle is actually at. Ephesians in chapter 6 and verse 10. Sorry, verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against other people. People are not the enemy. But against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly Places And in verse 11, he talks about the schemes of the devil. So there's a devil who schemes, the evil one, and his forces of evil. Excuse me, spiritual forces of evil. And it tells us the place as well. At the end of verse 12, in the heavenly places. Friends, one of our core fundamental beliefs as Jesus followers is that there is an unseen world. There is an unseen world. Angels, demons, the devil are literal creatures. They exist. There's a battle going on. It, and we're called to engage it. We're going to talk about that in how we engage in it in a second. For some of us, that's a pretty, yeah, of course there's an unseen world. We've got, best is from Africa. My experience, best you correct me if I'm wrong, is that Africans tend to have are much more at home with the idea of an unseen world than we are in the West. Yeah? But of course there's an unseen world. I lived in France for, for ten, nearly 10 years. The French are atheist at heart, rationalistic, children of the Enlightenment, and they look at you and go, you're loony. What do you mean there's an unseen world? We can't taste it or touch it or hear it. And the African will go, yeah, you can. <laughs> So, this, it, the, the, the worldview in the Bible is that, yes, there is an unseen world. But we also need to engage in it in the right way. There are unhealthy, unhelpful ways to engage in it. And Paul's going to tell us what that is in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, and verse 14 through 17, he tells us, not how to engage in it, but what, how we need to prepare to engage in it. It's the armor of God. The belt of truth. We need truth in our lives. Truth is found in Jesus. We need the breastplate of righteousness. We need Jesus' righteousness protecting our hearts, if you will. The gospel of peace. The helmet of salvation. We need to know that Jesus has saved us. We need to know it. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need to know how to handle this thing. Yeah? That's the equipment. But he still hasn't told us how to engage in the battle without, the spiritual battle. And he gets there in verse 18 and 19. 
He's told it, he says in the beginning, here's who the enemy is. It's the devil, the scheming devil, and his spiritual forces. Here's your equipment. And now at the end, here's how you engage. He says in verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. There's the first way we engage. Prayer. I love how he uses every possible pray at all times in the Spirit with all supplications for all the same. I mean, he's covering all his bases there. Pray. Do it often. Do it a lot. Get comfortable. Praying is how we engage with the spiritual world. That's why we pray on Sunday morning. That's why we pray on Tuesday evenings in our small groups. We pray for each other. We pray for our city. Friends, when we were sitting here praying for Ethiopia this morning, we were doing spiritual battle. It's not wasted time. One of the best things that the devil can do is convince us that prayer is boring and ineffective. Sometimes that means that the person leading it is making it boring, because we can do that too. But friends, prayer is the way that we engage in the spiritual battle. Paul says, pray at all times in the Spirit. But then he continues in verse 19, he says, Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. So the first way we engage in the battle without is in prayer. The second way is through what sometimes we call evangelism. Taking the good news, Evangelion is, is the Greek word meaning good news. It's the good news about Jesus has come, he's died, and he's risen so that you can be forgiven your sins and know God personally and have life, not just in the future, but now. True life, real life. That's the good news. So two ways. We pray, we engage in prayer, and we bring the gospel to those who don't know. That's how Paul says in the classic passage on the spiritual battle, that's how we fight. That's how we fight. That's why, as, and maybe in my head I'm doing it more than I, than I think I am, but we try and those are two big emphases for us in our church. We want to pray, and we want to be about reaching our community, our neighbors, our family, our colleagues, the city, people we don't know with the gospel. And we keep doing it, and we keep doing it, and we're trying to be faithful in it. We haven't seen thousands of people come to Christ. That would be amazing if we did. But Jesus has called us to be faithful in speaking those things out. And it takes time, and it takes discernment, and it takes prayer. We're committed to those things. Prayer and evangelism. If the devil can convince us, he would love to convince us that prayer is boring and ineffective, I mean, he'd love to convince us that evangelism is not my gift. And it's too scary. He's got lots of us convinced of that. And it is scary. Whether it's with people you know or people you don't know. But in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power to be my witnesses. If we want to, if we want to experience Jesus' power in our lives, we have to figure out how to step out in faith. And it's not always a full-on you need to know Jesus, otherwise you're going to hell. That's not evangelism. It might be part of it at some place in a very specific point in time, but often it's best talked about building bridges of love with people. It's over time we share our lives, we share Jesus, 
And sometimes there's those moments of, I've got to break the spiritual barrier and I've got to turn the conversation to spiritual things. And that's always a scary moment. But that's how we fight the battle. The battle within and the battle without. And let's turn back to Hebrews 11 and we get to the, the latter. That was the fun half. That was the part that it's like, ah, oh, this is ah, the battle. It's going on. I, I, sword in my hand. I can fight. Let's go. The second half is a bit more sobering. And yet, convicting. If you notice, this is a, in the notes, this is what I've called faith's endurance. We should expect victory in this life because Jesus is the conquering king and we are more than conquerors in Jesus. But safety and comfort aren't promised to the believer, to those who follow Jesus. Faith, safety and comfort, prosperity, material prosperity, those things aren't promised to us. Actually, what is promised is suffering. You can't be like Jesus without suffering. You can't be like Jesus without suffering. And so, you'll notice in verse 35, that's the, the, the key verse around which the whole thing turns, the whole passage. And you'll notice that it says, women received back their dead. So some women, Elijah and Elisha, if you look on the back of your notes, there's a whole table, I didn't mention that, but there's a whole table about what some of those, if you read those phrases and you go, oh, I wonder who that one is, I don't know. But there's a whole, there's, a whole there's, a, there's, there's probably more, but there's just some ideas. But Elijah and Elisha, both prophets and uh, kings, first and second kings, and they raised several people from the dead. So women, mothers, received back their de- received back their dead, received back their dead by resurrection, and then actually, some of our Bibles have a period there, but actually the phrase keeps going. So some women received back their dead from resurrection, but others were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. That's a really clear reference to uh, a book called Second Maccabees from the, the intertestamental period, the time four hundred years between Old Testament. New Testament. It's not part of the Bible, but it's a historical Jewish book. And there's a story in there about a mother and seven sons who during the time of Antiochus Epiphany, who brought in all kinds of bad things and conquered Jerusalem and sacrificed pigs on the altar in the temple. He made them, he forced them to eat pork or die. And he slowly killed them off because they all refused. And one of the things they keep talking about through that whole passage is they're looking forward to a better resurrection. It's a really clear reference to that. But you notice that some people receive escape from death in this life. The dead have been raised in this life. But others, and here's where it turns, and it pivots away from victory in this life to endurance. Others have said, no, I'm going to make a stand. I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do. Recant my faith. I'm going, I know there's a better resurrection down the road. What that means is that Resurrection, true resurrection is having died and brought back to life with a new body. That's true resurrection. What happened to Lazarus, what happened to, to some of these others in the Old Testament who were raised back, is they were resuscitated, if you will. They were raised from the dead, but they weren't resurrected because they still had to die again. You know, Lazarus, 
he was raised from the dead, but then he eventually died again. Yeah? And actually, it's one of those strange truths in the Christian life that actually we win by losing. Because the first, in the first part of the verse, those women who received back their dead, it wasn't the ultimate resurrection. It was just a, it was for a time. And then they eventually grew old and died. But those who chose to die looking forward to the better resurrection, they won through losing because the second resurrection, or the, the resurrection after the dead is the resurrection. It's for all of eternity. Does that make sense? In the, strangely, we look at victory, and as the first half of this passage sounds really good, but actually the second half is where all the work is done. It's where all the good things happen, because just like Jesus died on the cross, and then he was raised from the dead, we win by losing. We, we lose by the world's standards, if you will, but we win by Jesus' standards. There's a song that I used to listen to. I was listening to it last night because it made me think of that. It's by a band called Switchfoot, who some of you might know, but it's called The Loser. And it says this, Only the losers win. They've got nothing to prove. They leave the world with nothing to lose. You can laugh at the weirdos now, wait till wrongs are right. They'll be the ones with nothing to hide. Because I've been thinking, I've got a plan to lose it all. I've got a contract pending on eternity. If you haven't already given it away, I've got a plan to lose it all. Because in the Christian life, we win by losing, by dying to self, by dying to the things that the world wants. We, when I say by dying to them, what I mean is we give them up. We, 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 we don't, we're not living for those things. We're living for Jesus. And so we die to what ourselves want. We die to what the world wants. And so by losing in that way, we win ultimately. We win ultimately. And whatever victory may be had in this world, it's incomparable to what we have in the next. And so just as I was reading through these verses of those who suffered for their faith, because that's what this is. I had a couple of questions that I started asking myself. Particularly around that, that verse in verse 38. And this is that big, epic, this makes me want to go through things for Jesus. It's just that little phrase, of whom the world was not worthy. Because friends, I, I, I look at my own life and I go, oh, I want to I live a life that's not worthy of this world. And so the first question I asked myself was, all of these guys, their lives were not worthy of the world because they were clinging to faith in Jesus, come what may, and the world didn't like it. It bothered the world, and so it persecuted them. Does my life bother the world? You can bother the world in the wrong way. If you start going around and start murdering people, you're bothering the world, you get put in jail. You can bother the world in the wrong way. But when you bother the world because you're living sold out for Jesus, clinging to faith in Him, it bothers the world. So as you look at your life this morning, 
are you living your life in a way that bothers the world? And as I was thinking about that, I thought, actually, there's, there's two reasons that I can think of. Maybe you could think of more, but there's two reasons that I can think of why I might not be living a life that bothers the world. The first is because I'm not actually trying to follow Jesus. That was the obvious one. I'm not actually trying to follow Jesus. I'm living as the world lives. But the second one was a little more subtle. I am living as Jesus lived, sort of, but I'm hiding it. I'm really good at sort of doing it under the surface, so I'm still acceptable to the world. Does that make sense? Are, are you living a life that bothers the world? Jesus said, when you follow me in John 17, when you follow me, I'm paraphrasing slightly, when you follow me, the world is going to hate you. You shouldn't be surprised. And when you make sure that the world doesn't like us because we're following Jesus, at the very bare minimum, they're not going to understand. That's why in 1 Peter in chapter 4 it says, don't fear the world, but make sure that you have an answer for the hope that's in you. Because at the very least, they're going to go, why are you doing that? You give your money away? You go to church or you suddenly when you could be sleeping in? You're going on a missions trip to... What's a missions trip? Why would you waste your time? At the very least, they're going to go, huh? Does your life bother the world? And the more obvious question from that phrase of whom the world was not worthy is, am I living a life that's worthy of the world? Or am I living a life that's worthy of the next? Are you living a life now that is worthy of this world, that this world would stand up and go, well done, you're doing well, you've succeeded. Or are you living a life that is worthy of the next world in which Jesus will say those words, well done good and faithful servant. Well done. I hate asking myself those questions because I immediately start to justify stuff in my head. Ah, I, I gotta earn a living and I gotta have a house and I gotta do all this stuff. And in a sense, yeah, you, you do. But actually... The fact that I jumped right from asking myself those questions to justifying why I have all of this stuff and then doing the things I'm doing is, I kind of want to go, yeah, but does Jesus have my yes? Does he have my yes? The, the folks in these passages, all these different examples, Jesus had their yes. They said, come hell or high water, I'm sticking it out with Jesus. I don't care what it means for the rest of my life. I'm sticking it out. One of the games I play with myself, then, is maybe you do this sometimes as well, is I start to go cycle through different areas of my life, trying to figure out, is there something that you go, yep, there it is. <laughs> That's the thing that, I, that, that I, Jesus doesn't have my yes. And I'm not saying I, I have, I'm on a full-on yes for all of these things yet, but here's some of the things that I wrote down. Does Jesus have my yes for where I live? Does he have your yes, my yes, for your education? 
lived in a, I don't know if it's the same around here, but in the States where I lived, it was one of the wealthiest places in the United States. And getting into an Ivy League school was a basic requirement for all of the teenagers in our youth group. I mean, it was huge pressure. In this country as well, actually, I think we put huge, a huge amount of pressure on education is, this is you, this is you, if you don't get educated, you're not going to succeed. You won't have life. Education opens all the doors. Jesus opens all the doors. Young people, those of you still studying, education is important, but it's not more important than Jesus having your yes in that area. Does he have a yes in who you marry? In your salary, how much you make? Maybe he's asking you to make more than you're comfortable making. Maybe he's asking you to make less. Does he have a yes in your career? What you do for a living? The path forward? Whatever those next rungs on the ladder are? Does he have your yes for your children's safety and education. <sighs> not sure that he entirely has my yes in that one. Because just as much as it's pounded into kids and young people that education is, that's, that's the thing that will save you. And in many ways, it does, and it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But parents, it's got into our heads as well. Oh, what if my kids... I mean, Lenske and I are homeschooling. We look at each other and go... What if we screw up our kids' education? Just being honest. Does Jesus have my yes that if he says, do this, and it affects my kids' education, I go, okay, I'll do it. I guarantee you it won't be an immediate, okay. <laughs> There'll be some working through. Does there have a yes in your children's safety, your education, your savings, your pension? I'm not about to ask anybody for money, I promise. Smile at me. <laughs> but seriously. I love it when I have money just sitting in the bank. I hate spending, that's my life. I hate spending money. I just like it to sit there and accumulate. Get a lot of security from that. Jesus says, no, I want to be your security. Does he have a yes in your savings, your pension? He wants Everything. The problem with growing older, and sometimes as we grow older, we tell the younger folks, ah, don't be so idealistic. You need to be a little more realistic. We, we tone down there. When you're young, you, you, you don't have a lot of these things, and you're sort of free to just go and do something big and dangerous and exciting for Jesus. And you get older, and you start to accumulate stuff, good things, family, house, job. And we start, it gets harder to do something a little scary for Jesus. It gets harder, doesn't it? Can you feel that it gets harder? Please nod your heads with me. It gets, I'm feeling, I'm, you know, I've gone from my 20s into my 30s, and I'm like, ah, it's a lot harder now than it was when I was 21. It's not impossible, and God still calls us. But friends, even if he doesn't say, I want you to go to Mongolia as a missionary, my heart for us this morning is still that we would come to him and say, yes, with all of these things. I don't know how I'll actually physically let go if you ask me to, but yes. Does that make sense? He wants 
everything. And friends, as we close, I just look at those last two verses. Paul actually pulled them out on Tuesday evening at our prayer meeting. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Friends, the the picture that he's painting here is that all of these in, in Hebrews 11, all of those walked closely with God through faith based on what God had revealed at that time. Abraham trusted, not specifically in Jesus, but Abraham believed, yes, you are going to take me to the land. You are going to make me into a great nation. And this one son who you've just asked me to sacrifice to you, you're going to do it through him. And I believe somehow that you can raise him from the dead, even though you've asked me to sacrifice him. That's what Abraham believed in. Moses believed in what God had revealed to him at his time. And it says, and they all ran the race of faith. And they've crossed the finish line. And friends, they're standing there. They haven't gone on to celebrate. They're waiting for us at the finish line. All of those saints of the Old Testament. And it says the encouragement here is this. God has provided something better for us. We don't run the race based on the same stuff the same thing that God had revealed to Abraham or Moses or Rahab. We run it based on Jesus, something better. And so the encouragement is, friends, what you have is way better than what they had. It's the best God could give, Jesus, his spirit in you. So keep running. That's why in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, we have been given something better than what all of those saints. We can have the same walk of faith. We can have the same victory in our walk of faith. We can endure the same horrible things. We prayed for those, best had it up there earlier, the list of countries where it's dangerous to be a Christian, where people are actively dying for their faith. They're not different from us. All believers have the Holy Spirit in them, are capable of that victory and that endurance. And so, friends, my encouragement this morning is, Run the race with endurance. Give Jesus your yes. Let me close in prayer and then we'll close in song. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for um, your conviction through your word, through your encouragement, through your word, through the way that you call us to something bigger and better and more exciting, a grand adventure. Father, if there's one here that you've been convicting this morning about something that we saw in your word, Father, I pray that that, that would not be washed away by uh, normal life as we leave uh, later on today, but that that conviction would, would carry over into change, it carry over into new surrender to you. Father, if you're calling someone this morning to step off the edge of the cliff, as it were, and trust that you're going to catch them. If you're calling someone, I don't know what it is, Lord to be more vocal about you, to to take a step of faith that has been there in the back of their mind, but they're not quite... ah. Father, would you strengthen them in their inner person this morning to know that you will catch, that you are faithful. 
Lord, would you let us as a church be about the business of engaging in, in all of these things, in prayer, in evangelism, in growing in Christ-likeness, putting the old man to death and putting on the new man. Not for our glory, Lord, although there is much blessing involved in the battle, but for yours, Lord Jesus. That's in his name we pray. Amen.